Joe, what do you call a fly without any wings? What? A walk. <laughs> so, they've opened this new restaurant on the surface of the moon. The food is pretty great, but there's no atmosphere. Hello, everybody. This is Jacques. It's Joe coming at you live from Carnival Personnel Podcast. 79 degrees outside today on a sunny Saturday that you probably listen to us on a never because you're not listening. No one's <laughs> listening. Ha ha ha. Fooled you. Jacques, how is your whole week? My week was great. My son's week, eh. They went camping this week with my sister. It was part of my son's birthday present. They did not enjoy it. How was your week, Joe? My week was pretty boring, pretty miserable, pretty sad. Uh, Same, same, I guess. The same as as it ever was. Same as it ever was. And you may ask yourself, uh, what am I doing on this rickety stool? Anyway, ask yourself, this isn't my beautiful rope. <laughs> my God, what have I done? So I jumped ahead a little. Yeah, forever my boys somehow got in their head that camping would be fun and a good idea and have teased me and been disappointed in me because I refuse to go camping Um I've always been very clear about that. Camping is not for everybody. If the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't believe in anyways, <laughs> wanted us to go camping, wouldn't have given us hotels. If if camping is so great, we'd still be living outside. But no, we made a conscious effort to say, ah, there's better places to sleep, like indoor in a bed. But my boys had it in their head that, They've uh, missed out on life because their father won't take them camping. My sister has been threatening to take him camping for a long time. My youngest son got a coupon for his birthday that she would take them camping, and she did this week, and they came home having a miserable time. (laughs) (laughs) At least Matt Foley lived in a van down by the river, not outside of a van in a tent down by the river. My oldest son got out of the car on his return to the house, and the first thing he exclaimed was, you had to sleep on the ground. It's like, y- y- yes. <laughs> yeah. why, why are you acting like that is news? Like, the whole thing between, you know, my sister's present to the boys for Christmas was sleeping bags this year. Um, sleeping bags are used to sleep when you go camping, on the ground, not uh, on your bed. That's why you don't get a – you get like a comforter for for your bed or in blankets, but you specifically don't get a sleeping bag to sleep. He he was. He was also amazed at how many bugs live in the forest. And no place to plug in the PlayStation. What animalistic environment are we living in? I blame this on the lack of sitcom viewing by our youngsters today because – Growing up, I didn't go camping. I was a, you know, a shut-in, latchkey kind of kid, and I would watch other kids go camping on sitcoms like, you know, Different Strokes or, I don't know, 
Different Strokes Part Two. Was there another sitcom <laughs> out there? I don't know. But any any type of like show that had kids involved, they would have a camping outing. And this is the more innocent time of camping. This is pre. Everybody knew about the sexual abuse going on in the Boy Scouts era, even though it was probably rampant. But, you know, I learned about camping, like, you know, oh, Silver Spoons, you know, where the dad would be pitching a, t- a tent. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I would be pitching a tent with Aaron Gray. I- Hello. <laughs> hey Hack. But, yeah, I think your kids need to view more things about the outside world than they're getting. That's how. That's my parenting tip of the week. Watch more TV. A little early parenting tip. Make your kids watch more sitcoms. They're, I guess they're never going to go camping again. How about glamping? Are you going to go glamping? The boys and I, when we've driven across country or just taken other shorter road trips, we've camped in the car. They would do an Airstream. They were excited about that. But the idea of Pitching a tent. <laughs> there you go right, again. We can't. We, we're, we're 12 years old. We can't say the words pitch a tent without pausing and laughing and then drawing attention to it and saying it again. And rightfully so. The whole idea. The oldest one did like that he went camping with the Martha Stewart in our lives. My sister who was able to make muffins over a fire, make ice cream in a bag there's a way of making ice cream in a bag where you just put the ingredients. I don't know. That was explained to me and it sounded like too much work, but he enjoyed that aspect. So I'm off the hook of taking them camping and it's not something else that I dragged them to that they hate because they, they hate everything that isn't being in the house playing, you know, on a system, whether it's a sport or an activity. So I don't have to be the one that took him to this. And anyways, Good. so so camping cam, cam, camping was the big thing around. Maybe us. if she took them hunting, that would have been more exciting. <laughs> and while she took them camping, it was the first time, at least before Thanksgiving, I think that management and I had a night without both of the kids here. I think maybe once or twice a little guy stayed at my mom's and so we used that time to watch once upon a time in hollywood which we've wanted to watch for absolutely ever we're not huge tarantino fans but we like a lot of his stuff like brad pitt like dicaprio the trailers looked great i think it got nominated for like eight ten academy awards have you seen it? I don't want to ruin anything for you. You know what's funny? I started watching it, and then I fell asleep about halfway through it, and then I never went back to it. Kind of like The Irishman. You know, it was long. It was interesting, but it wasn't enough for me to go, you know what? I want to find out what happens next. It's an era that kind of intrigues me, that old Hollywood, Sharon Tate, Manson family kind of weird circle of Hollywood you know, it, it did look like a kind of a a person who loved old Hollywood making a movie about old Hollywood. Your review of the movie of falling asleep and not going back to it puts us pretty much on the same page. Mm-hmm. We we powered through it. It was fine. And again, DiCaprio was great. DiCaprio was great. I mean, he was fine. It was fun. And, and Brad Pitt was great. And the story was okay. I think it got all the Oscar nominations it did because there's nothing the only thing hollywood loves more than movies about hollywood is movies about old hollywood then where were all the oscar nominations for hail caesar 
That's a good point because Hail Caesar, I I like better than this. And it's a reimagined thing where I'm going to give it away because the movie's a year and a half old now where the Manson clan end up going to the wrong – well, they don't go to the wrong house. You know, they or, or did they? They went to the house next door where Leo DiCaprio was a B-list actor. He used to be on a Bonanza-type show in the late 50s, and this is 1970, and he's now a bit actor who does an episode of every TV show where he plays the guy that gets the shit kicked out of him. He's the bad guy and all these things. And, and there was. The performances were good. And it's funny that you said the Irishman. Management said the same thing. Anything, and, and we talked about it when it first came out. It, it, it's funny that, uh, why am I blanking on the producer and the director of The Irishman? I see. Martin it. Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Anything he does, people goo and ga over. You know, it's the same movie with the same actors for the past 30 years. It doesn't matter if it's good or it's not good. Every critic and all the film school dorks will say, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. You know, it's the same thing. It's it's funny because Scorsese, the year before, was railing against movies that were released on Netflix as not being real cinema. That And then a year later, his big movie comes out on Netflix. So are you saying that Martin Scorsese's next big movie is going to be a Marvel movie because he was railing on those? It, it could be. I will say, I also, and no, I, I started watching, management came home, and she was interested, so I had to start the documentary all over. It wasn't a great documentary. It was fine, though. You know, it was all about the content, not the eye candy, but I watched a documentary called The Birth of Living Dead, and it was all about George Romero and the making of The Night of the Living Dead, which was great. It was really a fun Little documentary. I've never seen an interview with George Romero. I mean, that's not my wheelhouse. That's not my the genre I like. I absolutely love the fact that he said, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We were literally making up as we go. He, he's, he's lauded for creating this whole genre, this whole subculture, this whole... You know, and they were talking that when by the time Frankenstein was made in like 31 the first time or even, you know, Nosferatu, the the silent, the German silent film about Dracula and all the stuff. I mean, that was literature that was out for decades and decades before that everybody knew it and everybody was familiar with. And it was their interpretation. This zombie thing was pretty much created by him. And it's funny how many famous people in the genre who, you know, produce The Walking Dead and these other things we're talking. It's like, yeah, our zombies walk like his did and he made all the rules. And, and it was really funny. He had a small commercial production company in Pittsburgh. One of his clients, somebody he did a short movie for, would be one Mr. Rogers. Mr. Fred Rogers. Mr. Fred Rogers. And he was saying, like, anybody who worked in the industry in Pittsburgh at one point or another ended up working. <laughs> it wasn't an episode of the show he did. It was like a little 30-minute movie about when Fred Rogers had, like, you know, his uh, his tonsils taken out or some, like, medical procedure. And it was following him through the day in the life of him having this procedure. And Romero was like, that's probably the scariest movie I've ever made. <laughs> Mr. Rogers goes to get a vasectomy. <laughs> so it was, but it was. It was really interesting to see 
How, and the other thing I really liked is he isn't this aloof, I'm a genius of all geniuses, and I had this great vision that I made happen. He was like, yeah, we all threw in some money. We were going to make a short. It seemed to be going well. We turned it into a full script. It took us a year to raise the money after to finish it, and nobody wanted it. And then we had a – this is the trouble we had selling it. And you know, he's not, he's not trying to pretend he had this grand vision. And at the same time, he goes out of his way to point out, yeah, I didn't make this movie. This group of people made this movie. And even you know, while he's doing the documentary – and he points to the guy who's sitting in front of him interviewing. It was like, you're not making this documentary. Everybody here is like, this guy over here, you probably couldn't have done it. Whoever he's pointing to off screen, maybe the boom mic or something. Your, 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 your movie's in, in Fred's house. and in- <laughs> <laughs> So he did. He, he gives credit to everybody around him. And then it, what's fun is because, I mean, this is Pittsburgh 1967. The news guy is an actual local little news guy who gets to be in a movie. That they they weren't even sure if it was going to see the light today. The police with the police dogs are cops with real cop dogs that they just said, "Hey, we're shooting this movie, and we were hoping that." And the police force is like, "Sure, we'll come and do it." <laughs> you right. know, it's like not charging them. There wasn't all this same same thing where they had like a commercial production company. One of the fun things is as they're t- doing different shots of the zombies closing in on this little farmhouse that our heroes are held up in, there's little uh, name tags. It's like, this is this guy. This is this guy. He was a client. He was, They just went down their roster of clients that they had been doing commercials for the last couple of years saying, hey, we're going to shoot this movie. If you can drive out to this farmhouse. and I think that's you know, how Adam Sandler casts his movies now. Like he just <laughs> anybody he knows or is related to or <laughs> is you know did any sort of business with in the last ten years. You want to be in a movie? So it's fun. No, it, it was. It was a really fun little, cheaply made documentary. Like I said, not a lot of bells and whistles and not a lot of like the eye candy. But it was you know why would you need anything other than what it was? Because you know it was just good storytelling, uh, good filmmaking carried the day or the it, night it as it were. And so I don't know if I've ever seen Night of the Living Dead from start to finish. I think it's one of those movies that I've seen so many bits and pieces of over the years. That, and I've heard so many stories about it that I, I think I've seen probably 50% of it. But I would actually, I think I would actually sit down now and, and watch it start to finish and, and enjoy it. And it's fun how... You know how shocking it was at the time, and in all of this. But well, they had a black actor in there with all all the other whites. And what's interesting is, yeah, nobody really thought, yeah, wow, look at we're groundbreaking at the time. It was just like, and he was a hero, right? Like, yeah, he was the hero. He was not one of like the token black zombies. (laughs) I played token black zombie number three in Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, he was the the hero, and it was progressive and. I think his girlfriend was white in the in the movie, right? Or the, or they weren't girlfriend boyfriend. Maybe they were. Maybe it, they didn't it know was, that. It was it was one of those things where uh, you know he was saving her. The Kimmy Schmidt when he you know white woman came running over to me. Oh right, 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 right. <laughs> it, 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 it was one of those things, and it, it's what's awful is we're watching it, and this is being shot while there's like race riots going on around the country. This is like right 
and 67, 68, actually, as they were driving the finished film from Pittsburgh to New York to try to sell it to a bunch of distributors as they're driving on the radio is when they hear about, you know, Martin Luther King being assassinated. Mm. And it's, it is, it's just one of those things where, yeah, they weren't trying to be groundbreaking by, by casting him. He was just like, you know, the right fit and the best actor they could get at the time who was willing to sleep on the floor in this farmhouse in the middle of nowhere with no running water or stuff while they shot this little movie. I really enjoyed that. Last week, we talked a little bit about the Gary Shandling, the Send Diaries. And it was interesting because Gary mentioned this comedian that I liked named Jeff Altman. And I referenced his album that I might have liberated from the college radio station in Fitchburg when I got there. XPL. There we go. WXPL. And it was called I'll Flip You Like a Cheese Omelette. And I said, I haven't heard the album in close to 30 years. I could probably do half the routine verbatim. And it was interesting listening to Gary Shanley talk about, you know, some of his inspirations or some of the guys he saw at the comedy store who just really blew him away. And he mentioned a lot of the ones that we know and looked up the, the Carlins, of course, like that. But he mentioned Jeff Altman. And for some reason, I decided to look that up this week. And I sent you an article from People Magazine in like 1990 when the album came out. I didn't realize how much of friends he was with like Letterman. And I don't know if we had discussed it before that he was the guy in that awful show that was it was it Hanna Barbera did that live action variety no, show called it was Pink a, Ladies? Uh, it was uh, Sid Marty Croft produced Pink Lady and Jeff. It was a variety show from 1979-1980. I had not heard of it until I started listening to the Gilbert Gottfried podcast a little before my time, a little obscure. It only ran six episodes, but apparently it was based on this pop sensation-ish, the, the, this duo of Japanese women who didn't speak a, a lick of English, not one word of English, but they were popular enough in Japan where they wanted to do something with them in the United States. So they decided to, I guess, pair them with a comedian as the MC, and that comedian was Jeff Altman. But uh, yeah, it, 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 he was part of the Pink Lady and Jeff show. And I, I think I think Awfulsome is offended by <laughs> being tagged with. I don't know if that show qualifies as Awfulsome. It might. It might. In some, I haven't actually gone back to watch full episodes. There are some on YouTube. There's like best of compilations that I, I couldn't even bring myself to watch prior to this podcast to beef up on my Pink Lady and Jeff trivia. But I guess it's something worth checking out. But that was like a city Sid and Marty Croft production, and this is at the very tail end of the variety show Bonanza in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. This was like one of the last gasps, I guess, before like the Bob Hope specials took over as the more prominent variety special on TV. And I think Bruce, Bruce, what is the guy's name? Bruce Baum. The heavy set guy. Bruce Valanche. I think he was one of the writers on it. Oh, yeah, right. I I think he was one of the writers on it because he wrote every variety show, whether it was the Donnie Marie one. I mean, you, you go down. Star this, Wars holiday special. Yeah. He's been the writer for like a 30 year run. He was the writer for the Academy Awards. 
which, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about in a second. But, yeah, this Jeff Altman, and he did. He started to have a career. He had, like, a sitcom that went to pilot, a touring comedian. He was in a couple, you know, had things in small movies. Then he gets this, and it pretty much killed his career. That album, uh, Flippy Like a Cheese Omelette, was his first and, I think, only comedy record, and it came out in 89. And it's funny how you, that is something that stuck with you. Like you were just in the right place at the right time, college, late eighties. Boom. Yes. I'm gonna pick this up and in white guy telling comedy, I'm there. <laughs> is it I mean, I guess it's funny. You know, it's great. It, it to this day I I think about a couple bits on it. You know, one of the bits that always stood out, he talks about the local tag of products being sold a fine wine and it will have somebody with a French accent talking very sophisticated about the Bordeaux where it was made and the valley where the grapes and how the grapes are curated and the aging process available at Ralph's. He's the comic that made that line? Because you would reference that line to me in the 90s and I I thought it was hysterical. So that was Jeff Altman. Wow. I do want to read one thing about Letterman and, and, and Jeff Altman on their Wikipedia page, on Jeff Altman's Wikipedia page. Kind of a peculiar entry, and I, I wonder who the source was. So it says, Altman met Letterman in 1975 in the Comedy Store in Hollywood. After a few dinners and even attending an Indianapolis 500 together, they became great friends. During one such outing, a woman, who was a huge Letterman fan, had approached them and asked if Altman could take a picture of her in Letterman. Ever since that time, Jeff Altman appeared on Late Night with David Letterman and Late Show with David Letterman a combined 45 times. How was that one event like the the the, the nexus of the Jeff Altman, David Letterman universe? I was universe? waiting for, and that woman turned out to be... The person who put that entry on Wikipedia. Like, I don't know. <laughs> there was nothing, I mean, there was nothing to it. I, I, was, I read the same thing. I was like, oh... What do we just paint ourselves in a corner? <laughs> you know like what? I'm trying to think, is that like Don Giller, the guy who does like all of the Letterman stuff on YouTube? Like, is he the guy? Like, he goes, you know, I remember this one time Jeff Altman was on the show and he said that they met and they went to this thing and oh, he, Jeff Altman told this very funny story about how this woman approached him. She said, "I'm a big fan." And, hey, could you take a picture? And gives him the camera. You know, like, maybe you had to be there. Like, to put that in a a Wikipedia entry, like, and then since then, he appeared on Letterman 45 times. Like, you know, right, you want to, like, that was, who was the Meryl Marco? Like, who was the woman? Right. So, I'm not going to review the docu-pick Can't Stop the Music this week, but maybe I will next week. I saw another documentary about a guy named Alan Carr. Does the name ring a bell to you? No, I don't. I know Jimmy Carr. Alan Carr produced Grease and did a couple. I'm trying to think of some of the other things. And he was his, Grease too. Well, he did do Grease too. He, and would you own both or just one? We do other? not. We do not. We do not. That that did come up in conversation. And management and I talked about watching this documentary. <laughs> she still is a little upset. I'm like, you're not spending twenty five bucks on Grease. Oh, Grease. You, did, you you actually? I thought you had gone and relented, but you actually put your foot down and said, "Nope." Oh no, she she ended up like. Yeah, it's on whatever we were watching it on. It's like, yeah, why am I going to buy something with the nine streaming services we have? It's probably out there. Right. 
so I'm watching this documentary, and he was kind of a marketing genius, and he marketed things that he wasn't even into, like Deliverance and other movies. Like movies would call him to say, "Hey, we got this big movie. We need to make sure it does well. Can you help us market? Can you help us sell this movie?" He was famous for throwing Hollywood parties at his house. That that was pretty much his claim to fame at the time. Then he produced Grease, and Grease really changed his profile. He was one of those very one of the more in front of the camera, well known producers. Like he went on all the talk shows with the stars and he was the one who would just be on talk shows promoting whatever movie he was very flamboyant very out there and he did he made olivia newton john a household name he had a couple other movies that did well but his big follow-up to greece was a docu-pick called can't stop the music with uh, a docu-pick about the village people uh it was steve gutenberg's first role he also decided he was a fan, just a personal fan of Bruce Jenner. And what's very interesting is, you know, this documentary was made a few years ago. And the inter- some of the interviews was older. And one of the cinematographers like, yeah, it was really, you know, you have this butch macho jock, you know, running around New York with like 100 fags. And he's saying like really out of place. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> ah, hold on a minute. <laughs> you know, it's... Um, and that's not me paraphrasing. That's me quoting the guy. So it was, but the movie, and now I'm blanking on her name. She was a B-list actress who played like Rhoda's mom on, on Rhoda. She was a bounty lady, but she was in movies all through like the 50s and 60s. As soon as you see it, you know exactly what she looks like. It was her first directing role. She had never directed anything. And it just seemed like the perfect storm of... So uh, So the documentary on Alan Carr, it was fun. It was interesting. You know, it was... Another, you know, trip down kind of like not old Hollywood, but like, you know, the 70s Hollywood, 70s and 80s Hollywood, which I guess is old now. But that docudrama called Can't Stop the Music looks so bad. I'm going to watch it. You know what else is bad that he was associated with infamously? I'm looking on his page. He produced the Academy Awards from 1989, I think. It went down as like one of the worst produced numbers ever, like the one of the cringiest, awful musical numbers ever produced for the Academy Awards. Rob Lowe was dancing with Snow White. It was like a big Broadway type musical number that just went sideways real fast. Yes. Yes and no. So it is. The 1989 Academy Award was really, really panned and made fun of and awful and it almost ruined his career and a couple other people but again the same writer that's the first year that that guy bruce Bruce Belange. Belange was they, they they brought him in to save the academy awards well no he was one of the writers on this oh really he was yeah they wiped out like when alan came in he wiped the slate clean and wanted to bring in his own people and he's a big broadway guy it's one of those things where the night ended and everybody there thought it was great. Everybody in the theater thought it was the greatest spectacular they had seen. It actually did well at home. But then over like the next couple of weeks, the Academy got sued by Disney for not clearing, you know, using Snow White. Right. So, so it was one of those things where it got really panned, but they ended up keeping a lot of the elements. This was the first one that came out and had a big 
over-the-top opening number. Now they all start with these big over-the-top opening numbers. They used to say, and, and, and this is a small thing, but they used to say, and the winner is, and Alan Carr thought, wait, all these people are winners. If you're nominated, if you're one of five best actresses being getting the best actress award, you know, just because you were a runner-up or just, you know, one of the nominees doesn't mean you're not a winner. And he changed the verbiage very specifically to, and the Academy goes to, and the award goes to, not the winner is. So there was a few other elements that he had brought in that people, like I said, in the building that day liked and, and was received well. But then a lot of the old Hollywood people, and he was friends with, I think it was Gregory Peck led the charge. Gregory Peck penned a letter and had 20 iconic Hollywood people sign it saying, they would withdraw from the Academy and never act again if they ever tried to pull something like this. And it was penned and signed by friends of his, people who have been to his house on a number of times for his big lavish parties and stuff like that. He also but, brought in the no host motif where the actors right. and actresses just sort of traded off doing the presentation. So, hey, you know what? You, you win some, you lose some. But, you, yeah, that's interesting. It, it, it's funny how, how those those types of people how they're remembered at the time and then how they're remembered now, you know, it's just a, you know, sports does the same thing when a league like the ABA comes out and the NBA looks down at it and it's gimmicky and they have this three point shot. And as soon as the ABA folded into the NBA, it's like, you know, that three point shot they had was kind of a good idea. Same thing with the USFL and the two point conversion and the NHL. Like there's been all these other leagues that had something that, wanted to differentiate themselves that, you know, they might have got slammed for at the time that then end up becoming part of it. I did not sit out to have a film student geek, you know, <laughs> week, but it's just kind of between the George Romero, between the Alan Carr, between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I pretty much I pretty much hey. did. But now we'll move on to something. Joe, people all have their RMV, register motor vehicles, nightmare stories. Their Department of Motor Vehicles. It's a, it's a, you know, it's from state to state. It's called different things. Joe, I have a story that might top them all. Go for it. Three times in the last six months, I've tried to get a driver's license in Massachusetts. My California license was expired, and, and I'm here now. You know, it's like we're talking about moving back to L.A. We hope to move back to L.A. We want to be back in L.A., but we're here for now. I should have a license. My license was expiring my birthday. Towards the beginning of the year, I go in, have all my paperwork, and they're like, oh, you owe $800 on back taxes. I'm like, what? In, in California, there's not a tax for just owning a car and parking in a driveway that there is here. And when we first moved to Qatar, we gave my mom-in-law a car that sat at her house. And she just never paid this excise tax from like three years ago for three years in a row where we gave her the car. It's <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to have to go home and research this and come back. And I did. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, we owe. And it was. It was like seven, $800. Oops. Right. Then the next time I go in... Like I had like five or six things of identification. They didn't take my California license, my passport, or like my target card. Like, nope, you don't have a cable bill or gas and electric bill. I'm like, well, I got my registration for my car and my transponder things and parking tickets that have been mailed to the house. Nope, so couldn't get it. So frustrating. And it's at this point, my license expires. 
it takes a month to get an appointment because it's only online. You just can't show up there early and plan on sitting there for a couple hours and wait for your number to be called. It's all by appointment. I go the other day, Joe. I'm right there, and the lady's like, oh, your license is suspended. I'm like, uh, no, it's not. It's like, oh, you have this ticket, whatever, from like two years ago for whatever. It's like, no, I don't have a ticket, but whatever. They're like, my car got a ticket. I didn't know whatever. There's fees. It's like, now it's $160 and $100 to get my license unsuspended. So it's $260 i am not expecting to pay, but I'm like, fine, fuck it. I'm here. Just pay the goddamn ticket. Then the lady's like, okay, well, stand next to that. Take your picture, this, that, the other thing. And then I step forward again, and she's like, oh, you're in the system twice. Why are you in the system twice? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I don't work here. You're behind the glass and looking at the screen. Goes, oh, you know, your license is suspended for this ticket. I'm like, I've never got a speeding ticket or nothing. You know, I'm like, what can it possibly be? Well, I have a suspension on my Massachusetts license. Haven't had a Massachusetts license since 1994. They're saying, Joe, that I got a ticket for faulty equipment, you know, a headlight out, a taillight out, March 13th, 1989. Wow. And I can't get my license because I have a ticket that now with fees has gone up to $420. And they're like, blaze it. And they're like, oh, well, the hearing office is closed. You have to do it over the phone. Here's the phone number to call them. I'm saying to late, it's like, this can't be possible. That's more than 30 years old. That ticket is almost old enough to run for president. How can – there's no statute of limitation? It's like, no. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, in Boston, that's where the scandal broke of all the priests raping children. And they could sue the Catholic Church civilly, but they couldn't bring the guys up on charges because a statute of limitations. So, and I even thought, okay, that day I got the ticket. Had I shot and killed the cop, I would have been out of jail and have my license by now. <laughs> uh, the last few days, I was like whacking my brain. It's like, wait. I got my driver's license in 95, so if I got this ticket in 89, I probably got another driver's license before I moved to L.A. in 95. You know yeah, what I mean? So it's right. like, why, why was I allowed to get my license then? Why didn't this come up on the computer system then? Well, you didn't pass I, the 30-year mark. And... Well, and, and, but, but seriously, and, 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 and I start to have PSD because I used to get pulled over in like 88, 89, 90. I got pulled over all the time because our friend Ross, friend of the show, uh, Dr. Ross Salowich, gave me a car that he got. It, it was like a 79 and 80 car when he went to Cornell on a free ride. His parents bought him. It's a rally sport. It's like a poor man's Trans Am. It looks like this really fast sports car. Baltimore Oriole colors, by the way. And the thing was dying. I mean, it literally, you had to keep this big screwdriver in the car because if you went over a speed bump and you didn't cock the wheel, it would knock the transmission out and it would have to get out and like literally pop it. But I had really long hair and drove that car cops pulled me over all the time just assuming i was going to have drugs oh and golly at, and at this point in my life i never even drank it's funny i drank a lot in like the seventh grade eighth grade ninth grade and then when hockey got serious i didn't drink for like this but i got pulled over all and they couldn't say oh you got pulled over because you got long hair in this 
this car that looks like it could be fast, but (laughs) it's obviously a drug mule. It's obviously a a cargo for heroin. And I do. I remember one time it's like I had to go from Tingsboro, Mass to North Adams State College at like one in the morning after a game to pick up my sister. Like I was driving out there the next morning. We're going to drive back right off the ice and a cop is going through my gear. I can't. Im- there's there's few things grosser on this planet than somebody else's hockey gloves right after <laughs> three hours of swimming. And they they went through everything. And I'm like, and then they would give me a ticket for weaving in the lane or your your passenger side mirror is cracked. It's still there, but it's cracked. So they had to give me a ticket for something. Well, one of these tickets, I guess, didn't get paid, or I, I would challenge them all the time. But I cannot get a Massachusetts license now. So I did. I came home and I'm having the hearing on the phone. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. Uh, truly. I think the people who who killed uh, uh, Shannon Tate didn't get 30 years. And, and, and now here it is. So, so the, dude, I, it was just, you know, so before we get into the week of awful, I, I, I think I, I bring out that. You know who else had a bad week? But, but a good week. The girl in Georgia, Georgia, who, who took the picture of the crowded high school hallway. Yes. That, so the takeaway by the powers to be at that school weren't, oh shit, look at all these kids not social distancing and almost no mask. Their takeaway was, we should suspend the girl who took that picture and posted it. Yep, right, because we can't let the word get out. That we're irresponsible fucks that just don't give a fuck. Fuck. I love that the girl paid homage to John Lewis saying, yeah, I'm fine with getting suspended. I thought it was important to say, hey, they're making us come back to school. They talked about it being safe. And if this is the good trouble he was talking about getting into, I'm fine with that. And the public outcry, the school had to reverse their suspension. I'm thinking if I'm that girl, it's like. Yeah, you can suspend me. I'm going to be home. I'm right. Gonna <laughs> I'm going to do a self-suspension, and you're not going to expel me from the school because COVID-19 is killing everybody, you maniacs. Honestly, when you saw that picture, it's like, yeah. And management and I, we had a virtual town hall with the director. So the town we live in, the school system says, these are the parameters coming back. These are the choices. One of our sons goes to a charter school that isn't part of the town school system, and they say, we are doing two days a week, you know, two groups. Group A comes in Monday and Thursday. Group B comes in Tuesday and Friday, and on Wednesday, we will have virtual classes for everybody, or you can stay home. But if you stay home, we're not going to give you the same level of support and education, which is, you know, which is now on the call. There's a lot of other people who are like in the situation we're in. It's like, yeah, one of our sons has some medical conditions that we got to be extra careful about COVID. So why are we getting penalized? It's like, honestly, are you taking away the wheelchair ramps? Because, you know, you, you can't look down at one disability and not the others. The other thing that had people lose their shit, and I, I really get it, one mom on the phone was just going ballistic. The town gives bus rides if you're more than a half a mile away from the school. This school is pre-K, kindergarten, up through the eighth grade. Now the town has moved it to try to alleviate crowded buses. 
only people two miles outside. And this one woman is like 1.9 miles and she has two kids who go to school at different times and the school also changed the drop-off policy where you can't drop kids off early anymore. So, you know, so she can't, okay, well, it really sucks. I'll have to drive my first grader or make the first grader walk by themselves. I mean, it wasn't just like a year ago we were talking, I think it was outside Philadelphia, a family got in trouble like a mom and dad got their kids taken away from them and got charged with child endangerment because they let their 12-year-old take their 5-year-old to a park that was like a half a mile from the house. Yeah. And, and kids shouldn't be able to walk that far by themselves. Now the town is saying, oh, well, you're fucked. Your kid's going to have to walk the 1.9 miles to school. And then – No, she's going to have to drive them. Then the director was like, well, you might be 1.9 miles by the road, but they're going by the crow fly. So you actually might not even be as close as you think. You know, oh, it's like the rate. And then the lady's like, you're not fucking helping. And, right. And, and just all these different people who have these different concerns. They pushed back school two weeks here. Dude, they're. They're not a month away from figuring out how – because people were asking legitimate questions. It's like, well, how is this going to work? How is that going to work? You know, And he had less answers than the people had questions. Well, that's unfortunate. Well, you know, your kids will be missed. But at least they died because of a stupid policy. What's next in the world's wackiness? Let's give credit where credit's due. Bunker Boy and a press conference on Thursday uh, – not really a press conference. He he had the presidential podium and seal behind him, but had the guest at his country club be the press audience. Did you catch that literally dog and pony show that he put together the on Thursday? I missed the dog and pony show. He he literally had a dog and a pony in New Jersey. Had sent out word to the people on the golf course. Oh, the president's going to speak at six o'clock. You're Welcome to come and sit and be the press corps to, to have this thing in which he goes. Uh, b- by the way, there's pictures all over the place. Uh, no social distancing, no masks, which later the president said, well, that that was kind of a, a uh, peaceful protest. They were peacefully protesting anyways. <sighs> but let's give credit where credit's due. He is signing an executive order in light of covert not letting insurance companies discriminate because of pre-existing conditions. He's taking it into his own hands and signing an executive order mandating that insurance companies do not discriminate because of pre-existing conditions. And I think that's – Joe, it's a fabulous idea. For a guy who has a son with pre-existing conditions, I think it's great that the president is doing that. Which president uh, started that? Oh, yes. That would be Obama 12 years ago with the ACA. And, and the sad thing is we've talked about this on this podcast. It was three, maybe four weeks ago. And, of course, it was on a Friday that the president's lawyer, the president's lawyer, not really Giuliani, the other ones, were at the Supreme Court or on a Zoom hearing with the Supreme Court trying to gut the pre-existing condition thing. And they tried to do it as much as in secret without any fanfare as you could because they realized, oh, crap, even if COVID only kills 1% of people or half a percent of people, there's going to be a lot of people who have lingering long-term chronic conditions brought on by COVID. So we might as well 
take that out of the ACA now. So he he sends his people to gut it. On the other hand, he has his makeshift press conference where he says he's – and, of course, there's nobody in the room to stand up and say, ah, uh, that, that already exists. You don't need to uh, – you know – it, dude, it, it's like even when he's trying to pretend to give a shit and do something right, like 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 save us all from TikTok. How many times have you come on this podcast, Joe, and say, you know what? The number one thing hurting our country right now is TikTok. And when when is somebody going to come in and free us from these people? Well, Bunker Boy is has his sights set on the evil behind TikTok and is going to save us all. Good. I didn't want to see any more Sarah Cooper impersonations of Trump anyway. But but how will the K-pop kids ruin his his uh his rallies? Juneteenth rallies in Oklahoma. But that's literally that that's what he's going and and I love how he's ranting and railing that again his campaign this week got shit pulled down. He went on Fox and Friends after his Axio interview went so poorly. He ran to Fox and Friends the next day and said that, yeah, kids are immune from COVID. And that's why it's okay to send him to school. He took his appearance on Fox and Friends, posted online, and both Facebook and Twitter's like, yeah, that's misinformation. We have to pull it down. Like they suspended the the account and Tola got pulled down, not Trump's personal account, but his the campaign the, account, the campaign account. And they go out screaming, that's censorship, that's censorship. Oh, by the way, I'm getting rid of TikTok because they're making fun of me. It's unbelievable. Did you see that Axios interview? Because that's on HBO. Dude, I tried. I watched a pretty good breakdown of it, but it was hard to watch. What what I the look, Jake? Uh, who who did the interview? Jonathan Swan. He had a couple, a couple faces that I don't think he meant to be as. Wait, who just ripped one? Kind of oh yeah, I mean the yeah. memes of Jonathan Swan last week were out of control because of just the number of faces that he made during that interview when Trump was handing him the charts that looked like they were made on Fisher Price's My First Chart program, where it shows, well, the U.S. is doing well with COVID. We're doing better than uh, in testing than any other uh, country. And, you know, how he compared the death rate in America as being better than the rest of the world. Like, we're doing better than the world. And then Jonathan Swan's like, better than the world? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he, then Jonathan Swan goes, oh, you're comparing death in proportion to uh, total numbers. We're talking about uh, death in proportion to population in the United States. And Trump's like, well, you can't do that. What do you mean we can't do that? That's, that's how we're the worst country in terms of response to COVID. Like, we're bad in that respect. And it, it went, is. It went on and on. What it is. Yeah, right. It, it is what it is. It is what it is. I mean, he made a lot of weird statements. The, even going off the rails with the, the Ghislaine Maxwell uh, wishing her well statement, he called Trump on that. And Trump's response was, well, you know, she had just lost her boyfriend uh, in jail. He goes, Epstein? <laughs> she goes, yeah, he killed himself or he was murdered. We don't know. Nobody knows. Although, well, you know, that's why poor Hitler ended up shooting himself because he had just lost Ava Braun. Yes. And so he was just so overcome with losing the love of his life, Ava, that he had to shoot himself, the poor guy. 
You know, you're always looking on the bright side of things. But yeah, he went on, you know, he claimed that he did more for black people in this country than any other president since Lincoln. And then immediately, Jonathan Swan goes, what, even like Lyndon Johnson, who signed the Civil Rights Act? Well, yeah, you know, how did that work out? Look at how that turned out was his response. Right, right. Black people ended up voting. I will say, he's not always a bad guy. And sometimes he gets shit from people like you, people like me. John Lewis did not go to his inauguration. Right. He did that. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't know John Lewis that well. He didn't know him that well. He, you know, he he, he didn't know he didn't go to his inauguration. He didn't go to his um, any of his rallies. His State of the Union. State of the Union address. He right. He was not five times. He, he was the opposite out. of what how people who say, well, Jerry Lewis, he was always nice to me. You know, he's the opposite. John Lewis, he was never nice to me. And the interviewer went so far out of his way to beg, beg the president to say something nice about John Lewis. Like, don't you think he was a great silver? Like, he kept baiting him, like giving him everything to say. Well, you know, we didn't really get along, but yeah, what he did and he stood up and this or that, or it's like, you know, he's very, you know, nothing. He quit all he kept saying five times. He, he pointed out that he didn't go to his inauguration or the state of the union. But when he says it is what it is at this point, at this point, and that was in at, regards to what again, we only had, I don't think the United States has broken the 160,000 dead mark yet, but we were only at like 159. It, 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 the good it old days. To, it is what a it is. A thousand deaths a day. And, and on Friday, this past Friday, it was the first time since April we broke the 2,000 in one day mark. And, and look, we didn't put it on the rundown. What happened in Beirut, that explosion was horrible, and I think they lost close to 200 people, and a couple thousand were hurt. The crazy thing is how much footage there is, because there was smoke coming out. So people two, three miles away from their offices and their houses were videotaping, oh, look, there's some kind of fire down at the dock. And then when the explosion happened, the wall of damage you know, that blew out their windows travel faster than the sound so yeah. you could see their windows shattering in on them and just this layer of destruction and then the sonic and then, boom oh dude it was awful and i'm and i'm completely sympathetic and it is horrible on friday we had 10 of those we had 10 beirut explosions in our country and the number of covid deaths usually we're only having five or six Beirut explosions. But honestly, last week we had two 9-11s. We had two 9-11s and now that the schools are opening... And a dickhead in the White House. <laughs> we are going to have... Truly, we're going to have two... I, I, and I hope I'm wrong. All the people who have to send their kids back to school, I'm wishing the best for everybody. You know, I, I truly am. I'm not going to be gloating or happy and I will take no pleasure saying I told you so. And I'm not going to be a dick say I told you so. No, you can think it quietly to yourself. But, but you know, it's like, who could have seen this coming? You mean absolutely everybody? It is just a shame that Again, they're they're completely canceling this week, Monday or Tuesday, they're going to make an announcement that they are completely canceling the GOP convention. It's all going to be virtual, but it's safe enough to send your kids to school and to vote. And, you know, getting into like the weekend awful on Friday night, again, 
-hmm. The Postmaster General fired 23 executives in the post office system. They are so far going, which again, just as many Republicans, maybe even more Republicans vote by mail than, than Democrats. But they are trying to kill the postal system that has a 91, 91% favorability rating. I can't say that. You know, last week, the president in the same, in the same sentence or the same day says Florida does it right. Florida can vote by mail, but is suing the state of Nevada. Yeah, right. It's for, a, the same, for the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know. But at least, at least they know that the census – the the Republicans, the Trump administration. This will be a great edit for you the next time you do one this of those. Is, are we getting into that character on Saturday Night Live's Weekend Update? Where I have the, two cousins, right? Right. Well, you know, it's um, it's like this. You know, I you know, I'm thinking, we uh, you and I are friends, Amy, right? Uh, you know, the, <laughs> I'm trying to say, look, in America, in the in the world, the global world, in this arena, what I'm, you know, if I could. If when, look, uh, what I'm saying is, look, Trump, he had, the, the Republicans, we have this thing where it's like, we have the, like, it's a trust, it's a bond, it's, a, it's, um, I'm, I'm trying to, I can't quite get the words out, but, you know, like, my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I have two cousins. No, because I wanted to start blaming the president, but it's a Republican thing. They know they're probably, hopefully, if there's a God going to lose the White House and the Senate is really in play. Six months ago, they pushed to push the census because they didn't want the results to come out with a Democrat in the office. So they said, oh, we need six months because they want one more election cycle of gerrymandering and all these things. They went to the Supreme Court to push the census to get another extension, you know, just six months ago. And now this past week, they said, no, we're going to shut it down a month early because they know it will be a dramatic undercounting, especially in poor and heavily uh, neighborhoods and cities and in, in places where there's a lot of immigration and they don't want equal representation. So it is. It's hard not to be mad all the time. At least, you know, um, at least – the Trump campaign is publicly, both financially and with manpower, supporting the Kanye West campaign. I saw, yeah, there, there, there are operatives working, <clears throat> Republican operatives, Trump campaign operatives working yes. within the Kanye West camp to get his campaign uh, as a deterrent uh, to steal votes away from Biden. And you know what? It's so crazy, it just, it might, just work. might work. There's one lawyer in the state of Wisconsin, they're suing a tiny TV station for airing one of those commercials that the Lincoln Project had. It's just a picture of Trump with a line graph going month by month showing the increase of COVID deaths at the same time playing what he was saying on those days, you know, and it's it's just his own words and the chart of facts. You can't find – but the Trump administration tried to sue to have it blocked. They can't sue big TV stations, and there's lots of there's lots of states where if you have a frivolous lawsuit, you have to pay the other side's legal costs. So it costs you 
to move forward with the lawsuit and then it costs you to lose the lawsuit. In Wisconsin, they don't have that. And they're using this one tiny station in Wisconsin to scare the shit out of other stations around Wisconsin and smaller cities to not go up against the president, to not air these ads because they can't afford to fight the the RNC and the Trump administration. The woman who is the head legal counsel leading that lawsuit against the Wisconsin is the same woman who – in person walked in the nomination papers to get Kanye West on the Wisconsin oh. um, on the ballot. It's it's the same person. It, it's completely – and now there's movement to try to get this woman disbarred because you cannot represent two different people. It's a conflict of interest. You cannot represent two presidential candidates in different parties on the same ticket like that. That's how blatant they are about it. Because you know, what are you going to do? It's 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 like poor Jerry Falwell. You know, <sighs> uh, you know, just because oh, we're, we're hitting everything on the rundown. I'm going to add one too. Go ahead. Just because he's just because he's on a boat, being misappropriated of funds, getting this free luxury yacht. You, you know, just because he takes a picture with his pants unzipped and holding a glass of wine. You know, can't can't you be on a luxury? Yacht, drinking wine with your pants around the ankles and still be a man of Christ, Joe? Ah, who cares? I, that, that photo didn't bother me. It was stupid. I think he, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's, I think it is what it is. I think he sucks. And one thing we should actually talk about, which is a, a, a beacon of light, maybe, eh, whatever, you know, any port in the storm, is the lawsuit filed against the NRA. That was, I cannot believe I blanked on that. Fantastic. Yeah. New York Attorney General Letitia James had filed a lawsuit seeking to dissolve the NRA. Uh, I think it was based on, you know, embezzling and misappropriation, misappropriation of funds. <laughs> I'm swearing <laughs> out a warrant for you in jail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two references. Keep going. Let's go. But that that, that is, um, you know, of course, you have like people like David Hogg and Fred Gutenberg on Twitter who are victims of the the uh, Parkland shootings, who just say, you know, uh, thoughts and prayers to the NRA. But honestly, I don't think, I, I think the NRA is like the Ku Klux Klan in that they have uh, the president and their administration that amount of money on their side where I think they are above the law. I'm going to, I'm going to come out and say it. I think they are above the law. And I think that although this is a valiant and right effort, that it needs to be done. It's just, I think it's not going to do much of anything. Well, the NRA has been crying poor for a year now because they have lost membership. They have had all these suits they're defending against themselves. They have fallen on harder times, which is why, and this is going back several months, Wayne LaPierre was was on the outs with them because his contract was up and he wanted like more money. And they're saying, no, we don't have any more money to give you. I'm a little, I'm not disappointed at all, but the night before this announcement, the press release went out saying, Hey, there's a big announcement tomorrow morning at 1130 in the morning. And at the same time, they're also going after Trump's taxes. And they had just, you know, this is the same State, this not federal. This is the same state, you know, attorney general who the Supreme Court had kicked the decision back to release his taxes to the lower court that said they could get them. 
and people are like, okay, well, they can get them, but can they get them before November? Unlikely. At the same time, news was breaking earlier last week that Deutsche Bank had been working with the attorney general and turning over the documents that were subpoenaed for them, and they weren't fighting this subpoena. So I, like a lot of people, were hoping that that's what it was going to be, that they got his taxes, that they got you know, the dirt on Trump. But I'll take the NRA because the NRA – And the last election, they were. They were found guilty of funneling $40 million from Russia into the Trump campaign. And you're right. You know, Jeff Sessions didn't do anything about it as attorney general. You know, Barr definitely wasn't going to pick up that that mantle. And they won. So you're right. They they have been above the law for a very long period of time. What this means in the big picture, I, I don't know. But I do know that public sentiment has completely turned the, like the last few years against the NRA. So hopefully they do get disbanded. Hopefully, you know, they can freeze their assets. I did see on Twitter, Janine Pirro, is that the, is that the wing nut, like former prosecutor on Fox news who judge Janine Pirro, judge Janine Pirro f- flat out said, and I want to, I, I don't want to take the time to look it up, but said, See if I can get it's pretty close. As a prosecutor, I prosecuted, you know, people from embezzling from their con- companies their own time. You know, I've prosecuted many people who have done these things. It's not really a big deal. Well, then, then why don't you prosecute those people? Yeah, it happens all the time. It's no big deal. Well, you know yeah. what? It was a fun week. I'm glad it's over. Nothing in sports that, you know, and I mean, nothing in sports. I know I probably watched five minutes of hockey this week as I was flipping. I'm like, oh, I'll actually watch a couple highlights. And I'm not jumping on any bandwagon. I still don't think sports should be happening. But at least I think we've gone a week without a major COVID outbreak in a different team's locker room. I don't know. if, if Have you heard an NBA outbreak or an NHL outbreak this week? No, I haven't heard any many outbreaks. But I have heard of one particular incident that happened on the field. The Oakland A's bench coach. Oh my God! Did you see it? Because I went, I of course went to the internet. And I'm like, oh well, maybe somebody misinterpreted. No, no, he did it twice. No. And uh, yeah, he changed directions. He wasn't blocking out the sun with his hand. He was giving a a, a, a Nazi salute. <laughs> I, I guess as Ryan Christensen, oh uh, no, Ryan Christensen is the is the bench coach for the A's who gave a Nazi salute as some one of his players was coming back, and even the player tried to pull his hand down. He was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like, what the fuck was what he's and then he goes on to apologize and says it was a, you know, uh, he apologized for a bad uh, in the world today of COVID. I, I adapted our elbow bump, which we do after wins to create some distance with the players. Oh, so he tried to make it like instead of the elbow bump, this is the six feet social distance salute, not a Sieg Heil to Hitler. We almost got through a podcast. <laughs> wait, you called you already wait, no. You 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 forgot that you referenced Hitler earlier by saying that he he lost Ava Braun. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, we're blacking out on our Hitler references. Oh no. It's becoming that commonplace. Yeah. So a dugout coach, uh, whatever. That's the one thing in sports. Well, there's that I no know. fans in the stand, so I think I can get away with this. Well, there is one fan in the sand that I recognize, and I was pleased as punch to see him. The, the cardboard cutout of Bernie from Weekend Bernie's. Uh. <laughs> Somebody paid to have that put up, and I think it was the Dodgers stand. But 
or uh, I'm Dude, guessing. It, it's, it's, it's that was it's, a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, no, we almost we almost got through uh, without a week in sports, but yeah, that's just I I I, I have no words, Joe. I, well, finally, <laughs> we're well, gonna end. He, Oh. He wasn't in blackface while doing it. Can we? Can we? Can we look at the positive? Well, go, why was, would he be? Why would a black person be given the Sieg Heil? What are you talking about? That doesn't why even make sense. Why would anybody? You know what I mean? It's like he wasn't, dude. It, how does <laughs> how does he have a job? Like how does Major League Baseball? How does the ace not turn around and say, "Yeah, I hear your side of the story, and we wish you well. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out." How does Major League Baseball not come in and say, "Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna have to say." Well, we we don't know. By the time this drops on Monday, he could very well be um, be going to his own little camp. <laughs> You're awful. Are you watching anything, Joe? I am. Am I? recommendations? Yeah, I've been putzing around in the museum all week, kind of. Like digging through old Xbox, original Xbox games. But as far as viewing stuff goes, no, I haven't really been watching. I finished the I'll Be Gone in the Dark documentary on HBO Max, and that was, you know, sad. What else? That was the, you know, the the Golden State Killer, Michelle McNamara documentary. But as far as anything else goes, no, I haven't really been watching a whole hell of a, a lot of television. That I can remember either that or I just I'm blacking out every night and not remembering what I did. Lucky you. <laughs> I wish I could black out. We just started watching season two of the Umbrella Academy. Don't know if I say recommend it yet because we were on episode three. It's interesting. It's they. I don't know if you saw season one, but at the end of season one, they time jump to 1960. So um, I don't know anything about the Umbrella Academy. It's interesting. It's seven brothers and sisters who there was an anomaly. Like, I think, I think they're like 25 or 30 years old. Three, uh, some X and Amanda kids were born at the exact same time around the world who have powers. This guy bought them up, like literally bought seven of these kids, raised them. They have superpowers, had a superpower thing, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. It's interesting. It's X-Men, um, but not X-Men. Yes, I jumped over games though. I have not played any games. I, I honestly, after hundred percenting Resident Evil three, I don't know. Did, did we talk about oh, that? Did, yes, we that celebrated. Did yes, that, did that? Did that? Did we celebrate it enough, Joe? It's a, no, but this whole week there was a couple opportunities. I'm like, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah you know, it's like you're gonna hundred percent again. So mm. I haven't t- turned on the game. In a, in a week or anything, but I'm, I'm hoping that you might have done something game-related. Well, like I said, I was putzing around on the museum going through old original Xbox games, and I was, uh, you know, just getting acquainted with some um, some older titles, like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, honestly, they were, they were, they're so boring, I don't even want to bore you with the details. They're like these third-person platformer, you know, 3D platformer collect-a-thon games, and then there's a Oh, I played The Punisher for Xbox. It's a Marvel-based game. It's obviously, but it's actually pretty good. It's a decent, um, kind, not Batman style, but it's a third-person perspective, and you're just killing people uh, indiscriminately. And it's, but they're all gangsters. Don't worry. It's not just women and children. It's, uh, <laughs> it's real bad guys who happen to be of Italian descent. <laughs> so we uh, had lots of fun with that. By we, I mean me. And my shadow. What else? Uh, oh gosh, you know, 
nothing too outrageous. Yeah, I, I have nothing really uh, new to report to uh, make this podcast go any longer than it has to. You, you, you want to talk about your two cousins? <laughs> no. <laughs> you got a parenting tip. I told you my parenting tip. Make your kids watch more 80s sitcoms so they can learn how to camp. Um, and my parenting tip would be, if you know your kids are going to hate something, have somebody else take them to it. That way they don't blame you and associate your awfulness for the one that introduced them to something that you knew they weren't going to like in the first place. Did you know that when you go camping, Joe, you sleep on the ground? Was that was that news to you when I started the podcast with that? Well, technically, aren't we all sleeping on the ground eventually? You know, everything we're in is on the ground. It's just we're several layers removed from the ground. It's just they were just only one layer removed from the ground. That was the sleeping bag. You or I are removed from the ground by, you know, several layers, be it a floor or a bed or a mattress or a loved one. <laughs> we'll never tell. Well, that's the podcast, everybody. I do want to thank nobody for listening. I want to thank Jacques for talking. I want to thank me for editing. And I want to thank you for not forgetting to don't forget to do the don't but dink a dank a do
Thanks. <laughs>